welcome to this Linklater's podcast on operational resilience. Today I am backstage at Operis Global with Julia Dixon and Pansy Wong. Later on we'll share some of the nuggets we've heard from this week's conference. But before we get on to that, Julia, you hosted a panel discussion this week on operational resilience. What did the panel cover? Thanks Simon. Well, we were talking about creating a blueprint for resilience. And it was really interesting to hear from the panellists who came from across a range of different institutions and hear them talk not only about some of the challenges they've come across when building resilience, but also some of the ways they found to get around those challenges. One of the panellists made an interesting point, I thought, about stakeholders and, and how they've seen their list of stakeholders for operational resilience evolve over time. Do you want to pick up on that? Yes, that's right. I think evolve might have been a euphemism for that list getting much longer. Um, that panellist was talking about the process of writing down a list of stakeholders for operational resilience. So who they are, what they do, what the comms plan is going to be like in the event of something going wrong, etc. Which is exactly the kind of thing that the regulators want you to do. But what's interesting is that they then took this list to their senior leadership and they walked through it with them. And it was at that point that they realised that what looked great on paper wouldn't really work in practice. And that test with the senior managers was the spark to rewrite the list, which ended up being much longer, but also much more holistic and so hopefully much more useful in the event of an incident. And that's a point that came up a few times, I thought, on the panel, which was this uh, cultural shift towards something that is more holistic. Exactly. A few panellists raised this point. Maybe before the regulators moved the spotlight onto resilience, this kind of work stream was badged as operational continuity and looked at on more of a siloed basis. So that silo might have been driven by a team or a system or geography. But now what we've got is this concept of operational or enterprise kind of wide resilience. And this is encouraging financial institutions to invest in a more holistic, centralised view. It's of course harder to pull off and it's meant bringing in new expertise and some reorganising, but hopefully it's something which is going to pay off over time. Just to pick up on that reorganisation point, a couple of panellists gave their insights into where they see resilience sitting within their firm, didn't they? Yes, I think it's fair to say there's a bit of a mixed bag um, on that point at the moment. I think probably most are seeing responsibility for Brazilians sitting in the first line of defence, so in the front office business. But it's true to say that others are focusing on beefing up the second line of defence. And I think there's certainly a blended approach being taken with, with all of these functions contributing to the programmes. I think there are structural questions in play as well about, you know, for example, do you set up a new operational resilience team or do you build out the expertise within your existing functions to manage this? Um, new regulatory change programme and combined with that who's overseeing it all is it the chief operating officer the chief risk officer or someone else I mean in short there are many ways you can approach this and firms are clearly already grappling with the ideas behind the policy agenda and just trying to apply them to their organisation to see what suits them best. Turning to you now Pansy you and Julia also gave a talk at the conference what did you cover in that talk? Yes, we did, Simon. Thanks. Um, it was it was about how to approach the UK's operational resilience reforms, and we called it how to make sure you do it once and do it right, which I think, as Julia has said on a previous podcast, is a mantra of ours when it comes to implementing operational resilience. And the reason for that is based on what we've seen in our experience as regulatory lawyers. Often people come to us only when programs like these go wrong, and that means that we see the pitfalls and mistakes that are often made. Because these can be difficult or expensive to manage further down the line, obviously, if you can avoid falling into these traps in the first place, then the whole programme is going to go much more smoothly. 
And to help make things go more smoothly, as you say, you highlighted a few areas. And the first of those was how you should go about setting yourself up for success. That's right. First, we looked at governance. Now, we've worked on many regulatory change projects, and in our experience, there's a clear positive correlation between having the right governance plan in place from the get-go and successful delivery of the project. Key to that is having all the right stakeholders in place and making sure that they all speak the same language, which took us on to our next point, which was about engaging stakeholders and individual accountability. One of the themes of this week's conference has been the importance of senior level sponsorship or buy-in or whatever you want to call it. But clearly, if you don't know who's ultimately responsible for the design and implementation of your operational resilience framework, and if they can't articulate how they fit into that framework, then you're going to have problems. Thanks, Pansy. And the second area you went on to talk about was flagging some legal and, and compliance issues to look out for. I thought you made an interesting point about how the, the regulators approach this subject today and, and how they use hindsight in, in the course of their investigations. Yeah, so the point we were making is that the regulators already examine issues relating to operations through the lens of their existing rulebook. So, for example, the rules that they have on systems and controls. And we've seen them fine banks and, and uh, authorised firms under these rules in, in the last few years. As is often the case with enforcement action, of course, they are looking at a firm's processes, decision-making and governance arrangements with the benefit of hindsight. So, you know, when they're investigating, they know how that story ends. So the, the job for firms today is really to anticipate that and to get into good habits early on in the process. So, for example, when it comes to recording decisions that are made along the way, it's not really enough to just have the decisions themselves recorded. But you probably want to think about, you know, making sure that you've recorded the rationale for those decisions so that you can have a look at the context for how those decisions were made um, and, and that that's clear for somebody looking back at them at some point in the future. And finally, you want to touch on how to go about making your programme evergreen. Exactly. We all know that this is a program which is going to become part of BAU operations. So it's going to be part of the day to day for an organization once it's up and running, which means that you really need to be thinking now about what you're going to do once your framework is established to make sure that it continues to get the right level of focus and it remains relevant and up to date in the future. What you don't want to happen is to get to day one of implementation and then the team that's been focused on building out the program for the last several years um, and they move on to something else and they leave and then you know all of that good work starts to fade away. Julia just before we wrap up would you like to share some of the themes uh, that you've identified coming out of the other sessions or maybe some of the discussions you've had with delegates? So I pick out culture Culture is something we've been talking to our financial services clients a lot over the years, and I guess it's both interesting and heartening to hear how many times it came up in conversation in the operational resilience context. Culture can be a bit of a fuzzy concept, but um, here's one anecdote I heard, which I think helps to put it into context. It was about the importance of self-identification of issues by employees working in front office businesses. And in particular, how do you go about firstly rewarding this behaviour and secondly, moving quickly to close out the issue, because I think if you manage to do that, you create a sort of a virtuous circle where employees are incentivized to raise operational issues rather than being judged for them. And they get positive feedback because they see the issues are being dealt with. 
And you can really see how that feedback loop would help build resilience. In the world of operational resilience, we're often talking about systems going down or technology failing, but I think it's just as important really to think about the role of your people in this. Yeah, I, I'd add from the conversations that I've had that the international view is also a key concern of many of the participants. Um, this was a global conference and, and it was really interesting to swap notes on where different countries are with setting rules in this area. Plenty of people I spoke to were worried about what it means that different standards are developing in different jurisdictions. And even though the overall aim of the, all these different regimes is the same, the nuances between them will inevitably cause headaches for global firms. And even if they are exactly the, even if they were exactly the same, they could still overlap in relation to cross-border disruption. So say, for example, you're dealing with a live incident. Yes, you should notify your regulator that something's gone wrong. The last thing that you want to be doing is filling out multiple formal reports with slightly different requirements to several regulators across multiple jurisdictions. But for now, this might be the reality. So again, that's something that you want to anticipate and account for as you're building your program. Thank you very much, Pansy and Julia. And you can read more about Linklater's appearance at Operis Global on our Operational Resilience webpage. Until next time, thank you for listening and goodbye.